Welcome to the Grow Home Discussions, a podcast brought to you from growroom420.com. In the Grow Home Discussions, we discuss the many aspects around growing cannabis. We hope you enjoy this episode. Check out our other podcasts. And of course, come and say hello on the forum at growroom420.com. How to increase quality and yield? There's a question. You see the question about yield come up um, more often than anything else. Um, but there's not any magic way is there? I mean, obviously there are products out there, which we can do a whole show on of PGRs that will probably bump up your numbers a little bit, but there's detrimental um, factors to them in my opinion. But as far as from a hobby grower, personal uh, growing, how to increase yield and quality, where do we even start that one? Well, um, is it worth maybe, if if you're already at a what what certain point are we looking to progress from might be a good starting point. Oh, yeah, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. So let's say that you've got a grow or two under your belt, and you've now worked out your nutrients and your areas. You know, getting there. You're, you're dialed in with your environment. Sorry, and you're, you're getting to that point. Um, you know, you're not no you're no longer a complete rookie. Because obviously your first advice to anyone growing the first time is going to be keep it simple and see where you end up and build on that, for me anyway. So you don't want to be going in with trying to tell people how to cover the 1% um, per as well, if that makes sense. Uh, no, absolutely, man. Once you've got the 101 basics and you're looking to progress because um, you feel comfortable that you've got the basics hammered down, yeah, this is just one. Yeah, once you've got the basics and you're, you're past that point where you're in the tent every two minutes and you're, you're tinkering with everything, you know, you're now, you now know the plants want to be left alone a little bit and you're cracking on. So we'll go from there. So you've got your first couple of harvests under your belt and you are um, looking to increase your quality and yield. I mean, yield's a dodgy one. I know it's a bit of a black area with some people, it's not about yield, but we're not in this to grow 10 grand plants at the end of the day. So I'm not saying that anyone would be, but I mean, I know I, I was growing like an ounce of plant for my first couple of rows. So. Yeah, you know, we'll get, we'll get to, I think the offset according and yield later on maybe. Yeah. But initially I think, um, probably by your first, by the time you finish your first couple of cycles, like you say, your, your environment's probably as dialed in as you're comfortable running. Yeah. And it's then, maybe would it be uh would it be fair to say closing the chop gap so bringing your plants up to flip a little bit quicker so that's not necessarily um increasing your quality or yield straight off the bat but it sets you on a much firmer footing to be able to achieve higher numbers yeah yeah so we're talking what you're talking is in the, the time between harvests yeah, I mean, um, myself at the minute, I suck at veg. Well, I suck especially at early veg. So that's kind of my focal point for what I'm trying to progress myself because if I can get early, middle and late veg to be a lot more productive, I should have a much more solid structure of plant once it goes into flower and hopefully a little bit sooner. Yeah. No, no, that makes sense. That makes sense. 
I think, yeah, that, that's how I'm kind of trying to look at, well, yeah, I think we've both said before, it's like having a properly mature plant. Yeah, yeah. Can, like you said, maybe make 10 grams difference per plant when you're talking about a two foot by two foot plant. Yeah, definitely, yeah. Over four plants, that's now nearly two ounces. Yeah, which is um, a lot in an early grow, really. I mean, that, absolutely, man. I can, I'm not going to name anyone on the forum, but I can think of a couple of people that just fed, will flip far too quickly and they're not getting what they should be getting. And that is the sole reason for it. It's not their kit. It's not their experience. It's just that they're flipping far too early, but we're all impatient. We're all impatient. And that that's that's part of it. But So, yeah, I, I'd definitely say a mature plant is the first step towards maximizing the kind of health and yield of that plant because yeah. i'm pretty sure we've both agreed as well that stretch and flip in the first two three weeks they're kind of high stress times for the plant anyway changing yeah. all their hormones and shit yeah if it's say six weeks veg old enough that it starts thinking it's wanting to flower it i don't know maybe it's a little more natural and less stressful that it's already kind of in the process yeah, 100%. I mean, you hit the nail on the head there thinking it should be going into flower. And that's that. That's part of what we're saying here, I think, is is you're trying to get a plant to go into flower when it shouldn't be. I mean, for, for me, that mature plant, when I flip, I always have mature plants because I'm like, you know, I'm a bit shit of veg. It goes on for far too long. But I have attributed the amount, the, how fast my plants go into flower down to um, use of PK early on. But that's only if the flowers, the plants need it early on. But the point is, is I will be in, I'll be crowning up on 90% of strains within seven to eight days. But that's because the plant's ready to flower. If you're flipping a plant, a plant that isn't ready to flower or too immature to flower, then it's going to be a two, three week. But you still started them hormone changes. So you, you are, you're sort of decreasing the value of the 10 week on average flower that you're going to be, you're decreasing the amount of work that can be done in that time. Yeah. So yeah, without, perfect sense. Without getting too big words, but I think uh, one of the new ideas is preservation of energy. So it's like, it doesn't have to spend so much energy convincing itself it's time for flower if it's already going through the process. Yeah. Um, but again, it's probably worth um, mentioning that when I think a plant's mature, it's usually set, uh, set in calyx or bracts and pistols at the nodes yeah yeah and that's generally my first sign of okay this one's really wants to move into flower now that that's a mature plant and then it will go into flower a lot faster and the point there is is you've shaved one to two weeks sometimes off of getting into true flower from flipping your lights and that's a long time a very long time in flower so it's also um i think maybe more productive time spent yeah, which it kind of comes back to what we're talking about. If they're not spending all this time, effort, and energy convincing themselves to make the right hormones, they can probably spend it becoming more productive and more potent. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree with that. It's it's it's, it's basically if you've got the right feed, obviously you want to be changing your feed when you're going to flower. But if everything's right and the plant has got everything it needs and it thinks it's ready, if it's it's the one percent, isn't it? The one percent on feed, the one percent on light, the one percent on 
the, the mature the maturity of the plant then it will go into flower and it will do everything it wants to do and should be doing at the same time it's not playing catch up in any of them areas because it's, it's ready to go so yeah no I, I agree with that definitely I, I think that's actually quite a nice little build-up because as well into just before I flip I'm now getting in the habit of doing like a semi load up like you do yeah or at least building up the plants the plants use of the nutrition so I'm kind of speeding it up slowly picking up the pace as I go and by the time I'm ready to flip I want them to almost be at full pace for what they're going to be taking in yeah or at least close to it so then the first couple of weeks it's probably taking the stress out of it it's already got what it is going to want provided and it's used to taking it as well i like that see i don't i just change on i do load up with normally with calcium and, and magnesium mm. that, that's what i load up with but i've never really done that I, I normally then just change over boom i'm into like full-blown flower notes and i like that actually it's another tool on the belt that it's probably worth mentioning I'm kind of thinking soil and adding a top dress yeah. just before so it would kind of come in about the same time. Oh, okay, yeah. Um, but again, when we're talking base nutrients, I think that's something that I kind of do, maybe, without thinking about it. Kind of bring them up. Because I normally veg everything at um, 1 mil A and B, which is about 1 EC. And then I'll bring it up to like 1.5 just before I bring them into flip. Yeah. Yeah, I never noticed that I did that until we just had this talk. This is, this, is, this is the point of the discussions. It's amazing what we do as growers, all growers, not just us two sat here, and we don't realise it. And it's them little nuggets of information that can help people or make us realise what we're doing. So, yeah. It's, it's, I've always, always done it. I've always done loaded up before flower, and I don't think I really knew why I was doing it. I knew why I was doing it, but subconsciously I was doing it. Same as you. To the point now where I'm actively doing it. I am loading them up heavily. I mean, my plants are borderline overfed by the time I change them lights, but they need it. As long as you're not being detrimental with it, they've got everything they need. So you've got the plant being mature, like we said, and now they've got everything stored within within themselves as well, You know, as well as what's going through the pot to be able to go through that high stress time of changing hormones and starting to, because it is, I mean, you look at the transformation that plant makes, and again, we take that for granted. But if you actually look at what it goes from over a two to three week period, it's insane. It completely changes everything. It changes the way that it, it, it grows. It changes the way that it forms leaves. It changes everything. Everything changes within that plant. So making sure that everything that's, that could be needed for that early stage of flower, because you can veg for a year if you want to, but you can't flower for a year. Once you flip to flower, you're essentially same idea as autoflowers. You've lit a fuse. There's not much you can do. So having it right very early on is, is definitely, in my opinion, where I want to be anyway. Hell yeah, man. Hell yeah. yeah. Um, again, when we're talking about transitioning, um, I suppose this is one of them times when your environment becomes extra vital as well. Because when you're going through that stretch and you've got the bud sites being created and the plants deciding where it's going to form buds, it's almost then the grower who has to control the, how much stretch the plant goes through and to stack the nodes correctly and not let them run away or um, be, be too stacked so that they actually don't breathe and shit like that. 
So I'm, I'm just kind of thinking out loud, that's when you're bringing your temperature ranges probably a lot closer together. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, Again, that's obviously important, but... I that's probably a, another stress reduction though, isn't it? Because it's it is, yeah. a much yeah, mild condition the entire time. It's not to say you shouldn't be trying to do that in veg, but I think we're probably all a little bit guilty of being a bit lazier with this stuff in veg. I mean, humidity is not really a problem unless it's too low um, in veg. And the lights are on most of the time in veg. So it's not really like, you know, the temperature swings can definitely be there, but I mean, the majority of the time they've got, you've got the heat coming from the lights, which keeps it real steady. And obviously in flower, half of your day is going to be, um, you have all this supplemental heat and, and factors, and then you've just got lights off, which is a long a, period of the cold period. dark. Yeah. Especially <laughs> this time of year, man. But so, yeah, yeah. No, I like that. That's a, that's a real valid point. Again, I don't even know I'm doing that, but I do. I don't even look at the numbers in veg anymore. I can tell by looking at the plant, but that, that's the beauty of experience. Mm. But I'm not looking at numbers. I don't, I mean, I've got but, an Infotech on one tent. Uh, that, I know that's there, but the other tent, I have no idea what's going on in there anymore. No I idea. I think you've also there. mentioned, though, or kind of mentioned, six hours darkness. It's like, that's comparably not long for temperature to slowly drop off. Mm. Where 12 hours is literally double that amount of time. Yeah, it, so, it sets in in that time. That's the difference. Yeah. It's, I mean, even out, I'm in an outbuilding, and that's six hours. Even though I'm venting a lot of air out of that building, there's a lot of ambient heat. I mean, the tents are warm. The the the, the even down to the pots and, and the yeah. medium in them, they're all holding temperature because they've been sat at 28 degrees. It takes time to burn off, no matter how cold it is. But 12 hours. I mean, once it gets down to that bottom temperature that you're going to hit for it where you are, and you say, if I'm going to hit 16 degrees Celsius, which I don't want to be doing, but if I am. I will hit that and then it will sit there for hours rather than there's a transition period when you're short or dark period. So yeah, I like that. Again, I wouldn't have thought about it like that. So, but it's true. You think even the tent hole, I mean, the tent will stay warm. Just the, the lining of the tent will stay warm to the touch for 10 minutes. Then you've got, you know, five to 20 litre pots. That, 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 that's all radiating heat over the first few hours that you, you, you turn off um, your light, so. I think that's just kind of a, a valid point to kind of make, like, it's one thing to just kind of go, okay, I'm gonna switch the lights off for an extra six hours, but that's a lot of time for temperature to be dropping and stuff. So yeah. keeping it in line can, well, I suppose that's what we were talking about, make or break the extra 1%. Yeah, this, this, is, this is what this one basically is, is the 1%. This is what this conversation is. Because as I said, you can, there are products out there that will add weight, but only if you've got everything else put on. And it's not saying that a lot of people want to be putting through their bud. And there's other reasons not to use it. And we can get to that later. I really want to do that discussion. But it's not something that you really want to be using. And if you do choose to use it, it's something that you want to be using once everything else is dialed in. And you know your environment. But I'm not advocating the use of PGRs. What I'm saying is just that that's a cheap method that won't work unless everything else is working. Um, but as far as improving quality and yield, it is the 1%. It is getting the little bits right consistently throughout our growth. So. Yeah, man, I, I absolutely believe in it. And it, like we say, it's drawing them ranges much closer together. Hmm. So we, um, that's with the, the maturity of the plant is not one that was on my list but it's very important. 
That was a good one. Oh, what you got on the list then? No, just in my head. I mean, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I've got pot size in my head. It's something that I think ugh, it's a tough one, but I think the pot size is also important. Um, again, through experience of watching people and myself growing for the years that I have, um, pot size has often got wrong. Um, especially in cocoa or hydroponic setups, I think. But um, in soil, you have to be big. We can get to that, but... Um, so, just thinking where we were, we've done... So, yeah, so let's go on to environment then. That leads nicely on to environment because we are talking temperature there and humidity is also very different when you're... Especially if you're using HID lighting. Um, I mean, that again, that 12 hours, it's a long period to have nothing burning any moisture off in the tent if you do suffer from high humidity mm-hmm. I mean, for you it's probably a blessing in disguise isn't it i imagine when you turn your lights off but because you're you're pretty low anyway but for yeah me, it's all balanced for me to be fair but that's kind of the joy of led i don't really have peaks yeah so yeah that's a good point i mean lighting lighting is very important we've got to be careful with this because we're going to drift into the other conversations we had but Increasing quality in yield in a plant is the right spectrum is obviously probably more, as important as enough light. Um, I disagree. I'm sorry. No, go on. Um, for a flowering plant, after it's finished stretch, the only thing that matters is intensity. Okay. Like the amount of photons hitting the plant as where it's formed is pretty much all that matters, in my opinion. No, I see where you're going with it. Like, um, yeah, I, I'm kind of standing on a hill where I think spectrum is useful up to the point of plant structure. But then um, I don't necessarily see much effect on brack size and shape. So when you're talking about um, red, like elongating cells, I don't necessarily see it when you're talking about bracts, but I see it when you're talking about node structure. Okay, yeah, I see see that. I do see that. You're right, as in the structure of the plant, which is also something we've. we've, we've, See, this is dangerous because we're going to train in there, but that's something that we is very important as well. But it kind of crosses over a bit. Yeah, that's why all these different conversations that are coming out over this period are going to be looping into each other, which is why we're trying to do them. I think in this way, but um, no, I, I, I agree. I mean, I don't see much difference when you're talking high-end light and i'm not saying as in high-end expensive when you're talking 600 watt per 1.2 or 1.2 or 4 foot by 4 foot area uh, you're right per watt there isn't a great deal of difference i don't think the um, difference when you're talking about hid is actually the efficiency at the time in my my opinion yeah yeah red was incredibly efficient for hid lights to produce so adding red spectrum don't get although it's also very natural for flowering it also became very efficient for for the amount of photons being produced yeah red still very important but there's a considerable considerable amount of red and blue in white leds yeah so yeah that's why i'm kind of hesitant to encourage anyone mixing spectrums until they really understand which one's doing what why they're applying it when so like these brs i'm thinking they're gonna make incredibly good lights up until stretch is done yeah. where i'm gonna want to go more 
photons for my watts, basically. Yeah. So that kind of, I suppose that's again, maximizing my yield and my potency really, because I don't know, I don't necessarily believe blue affects potency like UV would, but if the plant's under stress from the amount of light that's being hit with, which is very easy to do with LEDs if you're not supplementing CO2, crank the lights up a little bit too far and watch the frost. Mm. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm just kind of white LEDs for flowering and then different spectrums for what you're looking to make a cultivar do. Well, so I think, it, I think we've got a lighting conversation coming up. <laughs> yeah, it, yeah. Sorry, sorry. About no, no, that. no. I mean, no. Keep on, but I mean, we could. I'm just sitting here thinking about the ways that I can rabbit hole off of that. But well, yeah. Even yeah. the way you use blue metal halide, yeah, to create a shorter, wider structure, we can do that with adding blue to the white. To if your cultivar requires it or your space requires it, where if you're dealing with a short, stocky. Um, heavy afghan or something like that yeah. and you want to fill a scrog net but you haven't got time to veg properly crank it in pure red and that thing's going to stretch like fucking mad and you'll yeah. get it all filled out like that if your nodes are too tight use red if your nodes are too far use blue like do you want to know that the thing that i've realized while you've just said that is i've never been very successful with autos i've always vegged autos under mh the one that i'm currently doing i didn't and I'd say it's going to be a, a decent plant. I think, yeah. I always knew that, I think. Again, I knew that. But now you just said that you, you are right. I mean, with, with an auto-flowering plant. Um, Emphasises it. Yeah, you, you, want it, you want it to get its legs on a bit, really. It's very... Them first three weeks are all it's got, really, to set itself. Three to four weeks, sorry. But, yeah, you don't want to be holding that plant back too much. Unless low-stress training, but it's still doing lateral growth as opposed to upward growth so it doesn't matter about that but if you are intensifying light on a plant like that it's going to keep it short and stocky and i remember the ak420 that i bundled like no one else's and i had it under the mh for a little bit too long i think i knew that but that, that yeah so you're right with yeah understanding lighting would be a very important part of increasing yield and understanding the tools that are now available we, we give a vast a range of uh, a range of tools now available to us as growers and as you say, just with using LED uh, from, the, from the, the company that we use as a farm, you, you could really customise your veg and your flower. Um, and most companies will be doing the same thing. So, yeah, I like that. But yeah, but I think that comes into uh, yield and potency as well. Because it is kind of like um, intensity equals density. Hmm. Old saying, but it still rings true in all of the formats that we yeah. grow in. Yeah. Like you can have whatever spectrum you like, but if it's not intense enough, you're going to have fluff. No. Yeah, you're right. And that, that, that earlier statement, then I, I will retract because you are right. I would see the thing is again, it's on experience. I'm used to using four to 600 watt minimum over my plants. So we, you know, especially if we're talking, you know, I'm saying that the, the wattage is spectrum is as important as wattage. It's not, but I've been lucky enough to be able to have, be able to run them sort of lights since I started. So I've never used a hundred watt LED or a 250 watt HPS or a CFL. Really, I have very early days, but for a very short period of time. So yeah, no, I, I, you're right there. Definitely. Yeah, that's what these combos are about, man. Trading yeah. experience and understandings. Yeah. 
no, this is it. This is why I love doing it. I learned a lot sitting here, and it's, I hope other people will pick up bits and bobs as we go. So, are we ready to go kind of extreme for some of these potential yield or um, potency boosters? What, as in? As in, I think we kind of covered most of the basics of like really covering plant health and establishing the right, uh, well, a big plant in the right area. Yeah, I mean, a very important one is training, obviously, but we've covered that and I don't want to cover it in detail again, but making yeah. the most of your area. It, the one thing I think is important here is, is, is a little rabbit hole is the argument that I have between giant great big colours where... 60% of the individual bud area is compressed within itself, not getting no light, to having a flat canopy where all of it, you know, you've got a lot, I'd rather have a lot of smaller heads. Now, I'm not saying that, that's just my opinion on it. I'm not saying that that's something that people should be listening to, but obviously maximising your area, which we've done in a, in a previous um, discussion recently, is very important when yield comes into play, and I do believe quality, getting the right structure, getting the training right. Um, but again, we've covered that, I think it'll probably be two days before this one. So we don't need to go mental on it. But I think that structure and training is very important when it comes to increasing quality and yield into flower. And then that comes into having a mature plant as well. If you're training properly, you're probably going to have a mature plant. It takes a bit of time and you're loading up now with the feed. So yeah, we're ready to go into boosters, I think. Unless you want to... Well, um, I'll say boosters and like the extreme shit. Like... Yeah. Because there's some, um, should we say, out there ideas at um, increasing potency? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you know, I didn't even think about this. I know this is going to go now, but this is good. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, I don't know. The I'll I'll, I'll kind of try and go um, in time period of growth. So the earliest thing I can think of is people doing a seven week wilt or drought stress. So it's not a full wilt, but you kind of just yeah stop feeding to the point the plant starts to go limp, and then once it's limp, then you start feeding again. Yeah. So, so it's not usually even a whole two three days. It's like a day and a half, <laughs> especially if you've got if you've got large established plants. Not the kind of thing you can do if you're leaving the the area for a long time. But any thoughts? I don't like it. Now, that's coming from fear rather than experience because I've had this problem as I showed you that picture recently with grippers. And I think it doesn't mean I'm not saying it doesn't work. I can actually imagine it works really well, but I think you have to be on point and have to be available to your plants because it, they, they can work real quick. If you're trying to catch that, I don't know, that two hour period, say, um, where they're about to wilt. Um, and then you've probably got four to six hours. I mean, this is the thing. I'm talking about cocoa. I must stress that, as in my experience is, is in cocoa. Then you've got four to six hours of wilt before you're going to start losing productive leaf matter. And so it's scary for me, but it doesn't mean it doesn't work. I, I can definitely see it as one of the less intrusive, more natural stress factors to maybe increase quality of a plant or resin production th uh terpene production etc etc so i can definitely see the thinking behind it but it's not something i've played with i'm gonna throw a bit of a spanner in the works and 
do you still do like a mid flower, late flower, like six to seven week flush? I do a week five flush. A week five flush. Okay, so it's a lot earlier than I thought. Um, I had this kind of idea that where some growers are feeding a rather consistent amount, that there's a chance that you're locking up like your caution exchange sites yeah. to the point that you could be seeing a drought stress without actually not watering by just locking the plant out so it doesn't doesn't feed or doesn't drink for two three days yeah until that flush goes through yeah that was kind of my thinking for the people doing like a later stage mid flower flush but five weeks is kind of a bit early maybe yeah, my, my reason i do it at five weeks i know a lot of people do it a bit later is i veg it for a long time so if if my sole purpose to flushing is to blow the salt build up at the bottom of the pot by the time I get to week five, I'm probably 11, 12 weeks into my grow. I've only got five weeks left on most strains. So that's my thinking why I do it that early. I'm not doing it for, I'm doing it for the old school way of clearing the pot out, basically, of any buildups of salt and nasties because I'm using salt-based nutrients. So I'm already 11, 12 weeks into a grow by the time it gets that. That's and fair enough, man. So the, the, I'm just, as, uh, that's what I was saying. That's why I, and I think other people would probably do it at week five but you know i, I, I get that I, I do understand what you're saying there yeah no um and i think maybe the, the mid-fire flush kind of works as if if not a potency booster is definitely a yield booster it yeah. makes the plant a lot happier if you're running uh cocoa and salts and you can refresh that medium part way through yeah yeah especially 100%. with the longer veg which we're advocating a little bit here with our earlier comments yeah man so yeah i i again talking about soil i'd be kind of cautious about trying to wilt a plant in soil because i'm after i had pots dry out i'm kind of aware the microbiome takes a little bit while a little longer to bounce back than yeah. the plant does and doing that through flower i'd imagine is it's like we say another Dancing with death yeah but it, it, it's very important to make sure you're on point for them to week. you can piss around in in, in veg a little bit i mean if you want to play because you've got time to re re to repair it but in flower obviously you don't and you don't want to be missing any days uh, if you can but i'm not saying again not i haven't even really looked at this drought i have we spoke about it with jack i think jack uh on the growing diaries but i haven't looked at it it scares me because i have had plants you know where i've had drippers just get enough water through and i haven't noticed that until they've started to wilt and the damage that was done to that plant um was irreversible and it yeah. used it a lot of i lost ended up with a lot of damage to a lot of really productive high up leaves it should be catching an awful lot of light um so that, that that's the reason why i'm it's sort of a scary way for me to want to train uh, to stress but it doesn't mean it doesn't work and i definitely see it's more natural because you're going to get that out out in the world and, and out what they're used to they're going to be more used to having a bit of drought than they are having a nail punch through <laughs> The stem you know what i mean <laughs> yeah so, it's less intrusive way of stress training or i don't know what you call it stressing the plant out but yeah i like it and i might play with it i'd have to have less plants and yeah, it'd have yeah to be. you'd need a control and to check it side by side and yeah, stuff yeah. a little bit so uh, we we went over seven week wilt but what about if we're staying on the kind of semi-extreme train of thought have you ever done an ice flush? 
like I'm super not... super cold water or ice on the root ball for the last I say three days to a week. No, I mean I I like to lower temperatures, but I don't know. It, it's just being around people that grow for so long. It's not something I see commonly used. It doesn't mean that it doesn't work, but to me, it's one of them ones that's. This is going to sound really arrogant because I haven't done it, but more of a stoner myth, not a grower myth. Like the ones like, how do you get the purples out? Or now I'm not saying that's what we're talking about using it for here. Like how would you get colors out in a plant? Or It's one of them ones that I know stoners probably that are not growers, you know, would discuss. I know that sounds like a bit of an arrogant statement, but I, I don't see how it's going to do anything except knock the plant out for the last three to seven days. And I don't think anything, it's going to do much for a plant in the last three to seven days, except light intensity and type of lighting that you're using. For me, anyway, as far as increasing quality goes in a plant, I can't see anything I'm doing in cocoa um, doing that. And definitely a cobalt flower. Obviously, when I do my mid-flower flush, there's some effort to the madness here. If I'm a bit lazy and I just, I'm out there, and I've just, I normally I do my flush when I've got uh, reservoirs that hold four to five days worth of feed. When that runs out, I'll fill it up, straight from the tap this time of year that water is absolutely freezing and i'll notice a noticeable stall in the plant for two days so the method to the madness with that is i noticed a stall in the plant doing it earlier on i don't really want to stall it for the last two days but it doesn't mean it is stalling it that's again just arrogant experience talking not necessarily productive experience talking well I kind of bring it up because, like you say, it's winter and we've kind of got the opportunity to try it without too much outlay. Yeah. So I was like, you know, fuck it. I'll fill my res up and obviously it's not going to stay consistently cold because it's in the same space. I run Wilma, so it kind of works as a bit of a heater. By the time it's warmed up through yeah. one lights on period, it keeps it warm for the lights off. Um, but where I was going was... After one really cold flush, I saw the calyx swell fairly dramatically. Okay. Um, but at the same time, I was quite high EC to the point I was verging on locked out. I think I was like, I'll say 1.9 because the meter was kind of flashing between 2 and and 1.8, depending how well I swished around in the res. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it was probably verging on locked out. So there's a very good chance that I've gave it access to feed again by giving it the flush, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, there was like, in two days, there was a, fa a fairly visible difference. But it might, again, be very similar to your five-week flush. Yeah. When that's freezing cold water, even, on, even in the summer, compared to what they're used to, that is. Because I always leave my feed if they get fed normally, then we then I'll fill it up straight off. Was the next day they get fed. Whereas in flush, as soon as I've done that last feed, I put it through, and then I fill up two hundred liter reservoir with freezing cold water, and I pull that straight through the plant, and then I bang another feed through it, which is again the same temperature, a freezing cold. So it is that's a real cold flush, and I, I notice a stall. If anything, when I say a stall, I mean they just droop a little bit. They don't look as happy, and you can say over water in there, but you by the time I'm in ten to fifteen liter pots, and I've got a 13, 14 week old plant with veg, then you can't overwater them in cocoa. It's not really possible. So 
I don't it's attribute it to the cold. That. I know what you mean, man. Yeah, it just looked miserable for a couple of days. But yeah, again, it's not saying. I mean, as you say, it's perfect time to try it. And I could try it. I think if with the autos that I've got, even though they're not the same, I've got four different strains there that I'm doing. Um, but I could do that. I mean, I could really pay close attention. I've even got a little macro lens now. I could get some real close-up pictures of of the buds for the for the last three. It's not. I I will say this. I can't see it doing any harm, but I can't see it doing any benefit. So I've got no problem trying it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man, I, I got to admit, this isn't like quite late on. I'm only mm. seven weeks now. So yeah. it was like six and a half weeks I went in with it, which, like, like I say, it's probably closer to your mid flower flush, but it's only because I'm going to coast them a lot further because I'm not doing a, I don't know, I do an un- unorthodox flush where I just kind of run them down from a lot longer. Yeah. So, no, yeah. I mean, it, 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 it could well be. I mean, it could be something, but as far as putting ice on the plant the last three days, I don't see it doing any good or any bad. I don't think you're going to get much more out of that plant in three days, no matter what you do. Well, you kind of brought me onto the subject nicely because you mentioned earlier on that you bring the temperature down towards the end. Yeah. And I'm (laughs) I'm not against bringing the temperature down at the end or even turning the lights off for the last three days. It's kind of about what the aim is when you're trying to do that. Um, I'm not, I'm not so sure about dropping the temperature enough to stress the plant into having a uh, potassium issue that it's going to start turning purple. But if you're decreasing the temperature to retain the terps so they're not getting burnt off by high temperatures, yeah. I'm all for that. That's exactly why I'm doing it. I think it was talking to you. Ed. We had a talk with you before the podcast. I think. I think we were just talking. It might have been. No, we probably will have one of the podcasts. We've been done for a while now. But it was just, I started to know, uh, well, it was, I accidentally done it. The Inkbird, I unplugged it. Uh, Inkbird heating controller. I think that's what it's called. I unplugged it, I think. And I just noticed on a strain again, this is why I'm an advocate for people trying things to be running clones of a strain they know. Because you can notice a difference. I really noticed like an intensity to the smell. That wasn't there previously, and they realised the problem. They were cold, man. They were cold for a good two weeks, probably too cold. I mean, it probably affected my yield, so I must throw that in there. They're probably down at fourteen to sixteen degrees Celsius. But then, yeah, I mean, then people were talking about cold curing, and it just—I thought the colder the plant. Again, I think by the time we start flush, apart from a bit of swell. Uh, depends how long you flush for, but for a ten-day flush, I don't think there's much difference in. I think if you harvested it on day one of flush, I don't think there's going to be that much different in yield to day 10 of flush by that point. But quality is a different story. Um, and I do, I noticed that the smell was deeper. There was more tones to it. And the next grow with that same strain, I've done it on purpose. And I noticed exactly the same thing again. So there's no scientific paper on it from me, but from experience, terpene retention would be a good word. And when Pete said about if you can smell it, it's burning off, you know, even more so, you know, like, I'm, you know, it's like when you open a tent that's at 28 degrees Celsius, you get hit with a wall of thick, warm must air. Yeah. But if you open a tent at 16 degrees Celsius, and I'm not advocating anyone be running at 16 degrees, that's what I'm getting down to now. And that last 10 to 14 days, you don't get that. So I'm, that's, the only thing that we could be doing is burning off 
terpenes off the plant basically with the heat and the, maybe the light intensity as well i don't know but that's that's precisely my thinking behind it is i'm not getting that thick creamy waft of odor smash me in the face every time i open the tent as i do it's now. still on the bud you're still on the bud yeah but that could yeah, be yeah. Uh, bollocks but again just experience from me and the strain that i know it, it the, the smell on the agent orange was intensified to new levels and the smells that come off of that dutch passion grow which is what i read which i haven't done before hands up but the smells off of some of them strains i'd never noticed the smells on i had four strains in there now you can always pick out something from a strain to the next strain or a strain you've grown there was undertones to them plants floral undertones to them plants that i'd never ever had on three of the four strains again they were the last two weeks at about 16 degrees celsius so it was interesting really interesting smells and a real interesting experience because i'd never i actually thought something was wrong at first because they two of the strains had i'd no this is the thing now see this is why it jogs your thought i'd like to look at the terpenes that are available in plants and see what's creating the floral aromas and see what temperature they burn off at or to see if they're more volatile than other terpenes because there was floral it was like putting my face into a bunch of roses or a bouquet of flowers. That's what it was like getting under the canopy. It was mad. I don't doubt it, man. I really don't doubt it. And I think it all comes down to kind of what you said, like um, preservation of them flavonoids, terpenes, esters, all that good stuff mm. that disappears at room temperature most of the time. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of for it. And... It uh, it kind of maybe leads me on to what I'm again something I'm kind of working on myself, which is a proper f like I, I didn't like the word, but a proper flush, like letting the plant uh, really eat it, not eat itself to deficiency, but finish itself off and say it's autumn, it's time to kill me. Yeah, um, I'm a big advocate of that, as you know. So. I, I mean, I was, I was doing what I thought was a fairly long flush at like three weeks of bringing it down, and then a good few days of bringing it at, at like um, tap water EC. Mm. But yeah, I don't know. Uh, this lockdown's made me a bit of a weed snob, so I've critiqued my own <laughs> stuff hard. Um, so I'm um, yeah, just looking to bring it down. Well introduce a clean res for the last three weeks not clean to zero ec but reduced clean res and then a two weeks of actual zero ec zero well so not thing... actual zero actual tap water if that makes sense rather than bringing it down and then having five days i want a good 14 days of pure water so you may struggle to get the full autumn flush because of where we are and our background that's mm. something i've noticed i never i don't seem to get the colors like say that balls gets and i'd love to know what is ec is i bet it's much lower than mine because we have got real heavy but i'm not saying that you could feed a plant but i'm saying i think it's just enough to keep them green um to some extent not overfed but i mean a light green almost um over two weeks you went for four weeks different but you don't want to be doing that the reason that i do the, what i was what i do is is people that do the leech i totally get it i think captain also does it but you start leeching at week six, seven. And K-Bag does it, and no one can argue with what he gets. Again, this is what I'm saying. The, the only thing we don't see is the quality, the smell of the bud that someone grows on a farm. But you get to see the full diary of it, the full the journey. 
But if you start leaching at week six and seven, to me, a plant, that's the most vital time. They are bulking. I want them loaded up in that period of time. I want them heavily, almost overfed. And that's the beauty of cocoa. I can ride that brim of that wave. But then week eight starts normally. I mean, and this is a strain I don't know. I, I, but no, week eight, boom, I will flush it. Like I will flush it with a 10 litre pot. I'll put 50 litres for each pot. So I'm basically down to background DC on what's coming out the bottom of them. And then two weeks, I just get water. So, because again, obviously it's still bulking out through week eight. That's proper flush, man. That's proper flush. Yeah. But it's, it, it might be detrimental because I've done yeah. it all the time. But just to me, you don't want to be leaching a plant through them bulking phases. Like, you, you know, it's like week five, weeks by week six, you've got your finished bud structure almost. Not as in it's going to swell, but you know what I mean. You're not going to be producing more bud sites. You're not going to be, the buds are not going to be getting insanely much bigger than they are. I mean, they do by swelling, but I think you know what I mean. Yeah, man, they're, into, they're still going in. They're still producing at that point. Still producing at that point. And you don't, I, I don't want, me, I don't want to be lowering the feed at that point. I want it, that's at my highest point then. I'm probably, you know, as I say, I probably am slightly overfeeding, which just hasn't got a chance to show up by the time I get to flush, because then I flush. But, yeah. That's fair, man. That's fair. Um, yeah, flush, again, I think it's something i've undervalued but it's something i'm coming a lot <laughs> becoming fond of again if it's used appropriately yeah. this is the kind of the thing like i'm kind of holding judgment to say fully but yeah i i think old growers have been doing it for a long time for good reason that, that's the thing isn't it? it it's it's the argument of the scientific approach to the proven approach and and that's where you get captain on the podcast and he has his little back and forth banter with the guys in chat because a lot of guys are, you know, basing it on new science, which is definitely the way to do it. But there's a reason that he's done it for 30 years. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that's the same with one. There's a reason that I, I do certain things that I have. And some of the things I have haven't changed in 13, 14 years. They just, they haven't because it seems to work. But then how do I know it's working? That's the beauty of results. And that's the beauty of the, the legal side of it now. And they're talking about the DNA stuff and, you know that that, that stuff that um, Chad was talking about about um, being able to isolate and produce certain certain attributes of a plant or certain terpenes or cannabinoids is mental. But there's a reason that Captain does what he does, and there's a reason that K Bag does what he does, and there's a so it's it's a real tricky one. But yeah, I don't know where I was going with it now. <laughs> it's just uh, there's value to the old ways. Definitely, yeah. I mean, but also they weren't growing with these LEDs that everyone is now. That's something very important, I think, that they're missing. The captain's really is starting to upgrade his, his, his lighting now. He's now got two two six fives in there from Visible Sun. And I think he's going to notice a big difference using two of them either side of a HID light. So, I'm slightly off air, but I fear he's going to overdo it and call them shit. Oh, no, don't know. No, don't, because... <laughs> It's a lot of light, isn't it? And he's on about having more. <laughs> yeah, he's like, I've got more LEDs on the way. It's like, what the fuck, man? The <laughs> thing is, I think with him, he's yeah, he got the seems... height to get away with it. Fair, yeah, very fair. Might, he might, can run it. I mean, but only, yeah, if, that, if you look at the actual total space there, I mean, he's running the same watties that I run in a 2.4 by 1.2 yeah. at the moment, and he wants to add another 240 watt in there. Yeah. 
That's a lot of light, man. I mean, yeah. I couldn't use that in mind. I already know that I've added that. I bumped up my LED from 480 to 720, and I can tell you now, it ain't going to make much difference on the, the yield. I'm looking for quality now. There's a, there's a limit. There's a ceiling that you hit before you start hit, hurting them. And if I was to put another 240 watt on that side, I'd be hurting them. I'm on the borderline. I can see it now. Again, experience means I can watch that plant and say, I know that she's just just struggling with the amount of light that's yeah. on the top of them. It, the thing is, with LED, they don't, well, like you say, they don't show it. They tell you. Like, yeah. they'll slow down slightly. It's like, yeah. what the fuck are you doing? Ah, okay, you're still cranked up to full. <laughs> that's the fucking problem. That's it, yeah. So... Uh, yeah, that was all. That was all. Um, I just, again, I fear a lot of people with the plug-and-play LEDs are coming out. Same with the Spectrum thing, but that's a whole different fucking... But no, we've covered the, the lighting, and just to touch on it briefly, the, the, what we would use is a lot less wattage to cover the same area. And it, it doesn't sound it, but 120 watt less watts on 600, that's one-fifth, and that's what I would comfortably be happy at using from watching, I'm not an energy expert, from watching you and watching other people and, and the models that are available. So having the amount of light that he's got in there, but it's if he gets it right, it's going to be insane. The only benefit he's got is he's got a full ceiling height, which we don't, yeah. most of us. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. But back onto quality, <laughs> sorry. Yeah. Um, it's, well, it's always worth mentioning, like, harvests. Harvest drying and curing is going to be one of the largest defining factors for quality of your harvest at the end of the day, isn't it? Yeah, 100%. It's, to me, it's the single most important part of your cycle. That's when you can undo. You know, as I said, for me, 12, uh, 15, 16 weeks plus of very hard work <laughs> in, in a very short period of time, you can mess that up. Um, let alone get the best out of it. It's, it's, it's easier to mess that up than it is to get the best out of it. But this is for you, this one, because this is something that I know you play with. And that's what I was going to say a minute ago with um, the flush. You've, you have tried the no flush and you've tried the reduced flush. And so that's what I love about what you do. You really do play and you critique yourself, but you do it in a, in a constructive way that it pushes you to try new things. So harvest time on, I don't know, that's... Uh, Everyone likes a different type of stone. You can get that. We know that. I don't think we need to go into that one too much. Yeah, no. I don't, I don't think... Um, saying at what point to harvest isn't necessarily going to... I mean, it might change your potency. That's something maybe we can cover. Yeah. So, the difference between clear and cloudy? Yeah. Would you say that's the difference between potency for the, the strain and then the difference between cloudy and amber is more for the difference in high yeah that's spot on that's spot on if you're harvesting clear then you're not getting the most out of it and quality wise i know some people like a bit of a trippy but you can get that from just cloudy when everything yeah. just hits cloudy you don't want to be harvesting at at clear it's just don't and i mean i i, I the, the, once you've harvested the plant they will mature off anyway, the trichomes. So like street weed, 90% of the time you look at it and you see a few ambers dotted about, a few clear through cloudy because it's chopped at six weeks. But the reality is that that will come down when it was clear. But to be harvesting at um, clear is, again, it's a waste. But again, a lot of people do with impatience. The way I try and think of it is um, new heads are formed clear. Yeah. And you're waiting for the point that no new heads are being formed. 
Yeah. And the biggest indicator of that is that there's no clear heads. Yeah. So there's no new ones. So it's not worth waiting for any more production because production's kind of stopped at least for a few days for them to mature enough to get cloudy. Yeah, no, yeah. So full cloudy in my mind is like peak potency. Yeah. That's where you're going to ha- get all the, the highest levels, but not necessarily in the combinations that the the user is after. Yeah. That's when the, the mix of amber can potentially come in. Yeah, that, 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 that then comes down to preference. Yeah. Like we spoke about on Friday with Spartan, he's sitting now on the head, a lot of CBN being um, converted or produced by the time I'm harvesting. So that, that puts me to bed and that's what I put me to sleep and that's what I grew for a very long time for. But not everyone wants that. Some people want creative and, you know, heady highs. But yeah, you don't want to be harvesting before you are at cloudy. And what you said there leads me on to a question, actually. These late stresses to okay 99 no 90 of stresses as in what we can see with the physical eye are going to be to produce more resin yeah or yeah yeah to increase potency yeah Yeah, increase potency so peak resin so if we're stressing the plant out in the last week of flower to produce more resin it's are we tricking it into producing more heads when it shouldn't i don't believe so no i think it's an easy test to check and I don't believe so. Because no. like, exactly as we've kind of just discussed, like you would be able to look and see new clear resin heads. So what do you think it's doing out of curiosity? you think it's just swelling what's there? I think it's retention, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't get me wrong. When you're talking like from seven weeks, eight weeks, then there's maybe time. Eight weeks, sometimes you're seeing the last few clears being produced. But usually nine weeks you're kind of there in my opinion nine and a half weeks for some of the later ones if you're waiting for them last few clears to really turn cloudy but then you're starting to develop a few amber it's so it's there's a fine line but again this is kind of on 10 week strains like longer ones will obviously take a lot longer short ones a lot shorter but um yeah, uh, I don't know if we're... Well, yeah, I don't think we're seeing any further production. I think the stress is done at seven weeks and eight weeks are potentially worthwhile. But when you're talking about, like, the ice water flush... Yeah. Um, if anything, I think there might be potential for increasing plant mass. Yeah, so we're talking yield then from that. Yeah, yeah. but then you... I'm not sure if this yield could detriment quality. Because I'm not sure if, like, like we're kind of saying, you're not getting new resin heads, but the plant matter's expanding. That puts so, the percentage into question, doesn't it? So yeah, so it's like what's going into each bong or each joint is going to be less. Yeah, I'm like sep- spreading my trichomes out over more plant That's matter. Is kind yeah. of my thinking on it. So yeah, it's like, um, yeah, I don't know. But then, like, like we said, if you if that drop of temperature is not to stress the plant to do something but it's to help it retain stuff that makes a hell of a lot of sense yeah because that's how i've gone about my 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 harvest and drying and curing now it's all as kind of low as i can tempt fate but right. when, we, when we say quality though that that's an important point is, is we're not just talking thc which is what you I mean a lot of people reading the seed packet or if there's newer growers listening to this will be 
in their head, I'd imagine, is what we think quality is all about. But no, like if you're retaining the terpenes and, and the essential oils within the plant, then well, all all that's quality. retained in the trichome and the, and the resin heads anyway. Yeah. So that's that's our fruit at the end of the day. Like um, the plant material is is just what the fruit is produced on. Yeah. Um, so yeah, if we're talking about potency and like eh, yield, kind of becomes a uh, an underlying question because it's like if if I increase yield, does my potency drop big at some point? Like yeah. we kind of just covered. This is it. I mean, th- th- that would be. The only argument would be if you're using concentrates, but if you're using concentrates, you want less plant matter anyway. If you can have a much smaller bud with the same amount of trichomes as you would a much larger bud, it's a lot easier to wash it off, I'd imagine. Well, I'm, I'm just saying there might be a peak point. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, I don't know. Necessarily waiting for what I think we've discussed before is like rigor mortis swell, yeah. where the buds are dead on sticks, and when you start drying them, they stay as, as they were. They don't yeah. shrink down and stuff. Like I'm not sure at that point you've uh, it's been pushed to retain the quality from there because there, there's potentially more plant material than was when they it stopped producing trichomes. Yeah. It, again, this is just my stone of thinking. No, I have I like no, it, I no like evidence of it. No, but it, it, as I say, when we talk about percentage on but percentage of THC, we are talking about a potential of resin per for the plant matter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm completely, completely with that, man. I really like that actually, and that, that falls nicely into my way of wanting really small flower heads and lots of them, rather than great big giant buds. With because you think if you've got a golf ball in your hand and you've got a tennis ball in your hand, only the outside of that tennis ball is going to contain the trichomes and the golf ball. So you look at the amount of plant matter that's being wasted if we're looking at using as you said, the plant matter to produce the fruit that we're after. There's a huge amount of plant matter. And if you pull in the argument that we had before, an argument discussion we had before about will certain plants, once you know what you're doing and you've got everything dialed in, peak out at a certain amount of bud per, per plant, you know, um, obviously that's not going to be exact down to the gram, but I mean, will a, will a certain strain, four of them for me in a, in a tent produce 20, 21, 21, 22, 20 repeatedly where some strains are going to hit 30 31 34 30 on repetitive grows but if you look at that tiny little golf ball in your hand and that massive tennis ball in your hand or that massive basketball in your hand and it's only the outside of that that's really got mature um resin thc um trichomes all over it then there's there's a huge difference a huge difference in, in, in the amount of plant matter that you're wasting compared to what you're making use of in my head that's a valuable rent yeah man i think so i'm kind of personally in question if um don't get me wrong the surface area is super important but buds seem to produce in incredibly tight spaces resin yeah it's kind of something i'm awakening to as well so it's like um the yeah, I don't know. Um, foxtails? Foxtails are it's a pretty good one, actually. Because if they're there up until about eight weeks, they keep producing frost. If the foxtails keep growing after that, then you're definitely left with, like, blank plant matter that's not frosty. 
Hmm. But I think it it almost highlights the point we were kind of talking about. Like, um, yeah, the tennis ball and um, the golf ball. But then I also found on the brain damage that it's dense as fuck. And I can bust it open and it's still got frost all the way through every layer. Yeah. But is that, yeah, I don't know. There's like, no, I think that's bug there's so many different layers to and it. Bug structure. I mean, yeah. And, and, yeah. and different strain. That's the thing. It's, it's not that this is uh, variable for strain. I mean, yeah. when I grew it in Mazar, they were like pumice stones. Mm. But there was no, like you say, I see that on, on the Asian orange. Like it's sort of like you have, you put your fingers up in front of you and there's trichomes in all of them. But then they sort of swell together, and then like you've got a fist. But there is there's trichomes running through, yeah. um, you know, where the fingers once were. But some buds will start off just as a mini fist and just swell into a. You're point. absolutely right. No, you're at, yeah yeah. Sorry, I, it's taken that analogy for my brain to go. That's exactly what it was. Well done. Good. <laughs> I made it clever. But that, that, that's the, in my head again. And we were talking. It is ignorant experience because we're just going on what we've what we've done you know we don't have the scientific equipment to test nothing but i just noticed that on the bazaar and that was it was a really old school that you don't really see that bus structure anymore um you just don't like the almost deformed swelling you know merging bud form it just literally created these stones that just seemed to swell <laughs> it was mad man to watch it happen but i'd love to do it again but it was actually a big girl it, no it wasn't it was a big looking girl it just wasn't the weight wasn't there because it would it literally felt like picking up like the pumice stones you do your feet with it looked like it should weigh like you know seven grams and it probably weighed one but it was solid it was a real strange structure to that plant man i love that plant hey man it sounds like uh well it was a keeper for you at the time i think but it didn't take her yeah no i didn't take a keeper for that because it was such an old strain from dutch passion and so reliable reliable i know i'm going to get the same again it was yeah. a newer strain, the Mokum's tulip one. If it's newer, then you might get variables. But once something's been bred for 20, 30 years, and I think Mazar has, that's one of their older ones, it, it's like the critical I'm doing now. The, 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 there's no, I'll get the same seeds, and it would be very similar. So if I grew it, you're going to find a keeper once, so I don't get it twisted. But what I'm saying is, is genetically, it's going to be a much more stable variety than something that a seed company produces tomorrow. Yeah, man. So... No, that's fair. Um, I just wanted to... I just noticed the time. I'll bring it back to Kieran for a second. Yeah. Just because I thought it's probably worth mentioning the the ranges for Kieran and shit. Because, again, I think a lot of people, at least on the forum, are kind of waking up to the idea that fridge curing after the drying is... uh, It's flavour retention that we keep fucking mentioning, I guess. Like... The jars don't stink until they're back up to room temperature. And then it's like we've kind of mentioned if you're smelling it, it's no longer in the bud. So yeah, no, it makes perfect sense, man. It makes perfect sense. I don't know. Yeah, a lot of people are. I know the, the curing, a lot of people are still sick, sticking to the 60 60. So 60 degrees Fahrenheit, I think that's about 15 degrees Celsius. Hmm. Um, and 60% RH. There's some play on how you bounce RH the first few days to manage it in everyone's unique spaces. Yeah. But 
to try and maintain a safe level with no mold but low temperatures that 60 60 for 10 to 14 days to 21 plus if you can like it's a crazy difference man yeah um it, it, there's very important numbers there very important numbers um it's it's a, do you know what it's, it's a, something that i've noticed i'll get onto that quality in a minute is is adding moisture back in without realizing it but the point is is yeah you want to be around 60 percent when you start your cure that's, that's actually the ideal number for me um, you can start a bit higher, you can start a bit lower, but you're going to lose it. You don't want to drift down too low down, um, below 55%. Um, but yeah, the, the temperature is not something I've really focused on before and something I've focused on of late because, well, just because it's been in, in the outbuilding. Um, and I've noticed a difference again in the retention of smell and more so, not retention of smell, more so the additional or the undertones that are there as if i'm not burning off stuff that's probably a lot more volatile as i said i really want to do a terpene um day have a proper terpene day and find out what's, a deep dive yeah and find out because i don't know right up on it when we first started the forum but now it's like you forget stuff but even then i don't think there were anywhere near as many terpenes in just three years that were being actively researched or looked at as what there are now so yeah, I want to have a good look at that because I'm I'm sure there's something there without me realising it. But I would definitely definitely agree with sixty sixty. Um, I don't see why you wouldn't you couldn't go colder than that once you've got it down to sixty percent. Once you're down to where you would be effectively safe from mould. Yeah, I mold. think that's well worth mentioning that um, that's drying conditions. Yeah. And that, yeah, like you say, there's no reason to ex not extend that to your jars once once they're off the the. I'm a big fan of the whole plant hang now. Um, I think there is some value to it. Again, I think it just slows down that process a lot. Yeah, yeah it does. Um, I that. But yeah, um, you if you can. So drying at sixty sixty is real important to keep it long and low and slow yeah but then yeah there's no reason to not uh drop the temperature down further once you hit between 62 and 60 yeah because i think um is it 62 and 58 generally where we want to be sat around for for curing yeah you're often going to end up around 56 55 after four weeks of curing because you, you are effectively burping off but I think that the, I don't know the name of it, but the bacteria that we're trying to create when we're curing to eat all of the leftover shit in the plant dies off below 55%. I can't be quoted on that, but again, that secondhand information from always refer back to a video by Chester Copperpot. I don't think he's around anymore. And that first time I listened to him and I've done the curing, this is talking many years ago now, completely different bud. But he goes through it all on that and, uh, we don't want to be drying out too much, but you will. You, but no, this is what I wanted to get to. Sorry. So, a way to detriment the quality um, of the of it is is I had a period on not this maybe the last one, maybe one before, where I think it was lockdown. It was the last one. So normally I would cure uh, in the house. It's normally I don't know forty to sixty percent humidity. I don't. It's not as humid as out in my outbuilding. So I, I, I cure in 10 litre buckets. So 
I would just open them up in the house, like lunchtime, and then the place would stink, but no one was here, the kids weren't here, blah, 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 blah. Put it away, done. I couldn't do that for the first time because there was no period where someone wasn't here. So I started doing it in the garage. And I started to notice a bit of a different smell to the bud. And upon digging around in there, I started to find buds that were a bit moist compared to what, not moist and wet, but what was happening is I was opening it up, opening up the bucket in an environment that was 80%. And that was effectively adding moisture back into my buds because I had them down at 58 to 60. So that's an important thing, I think, because I've seen that a couple of times now, especially when drying. Again, you want to keep it at 60. You don't want to, if you're drying at 90, yes, they're going to slowly dry out. But obviously there's a risk of mold, but you're really never going to get it down to 60% if they're stuck in a 90 degree, 90% environment. And that's the same like Bovida packs. That's why they're, they're set to stay at 62 or 58, wherever they are. But Also worth mentioning at this stage, um, that, that moisture you're adding back in isn't cannabinoids that would have yeah. volatilized off. Like, I don't agree with it, but I know some I mean, people swear by it. Well, I'm, uh, again, not talking about Belvedere, but because we're talking about burping, being conscious about what the RH is when you're burping is kind of important. Yeah, yeah, if definitely. you do overdry, yes, you've lost the the stuff you were trying to retain anyway, but there is the ability to kind of bring back the moisture by burping in the right conditions. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you can add the moisture back in. Yeah, and, and at the same time, yeah, you don't want to go too far if it's done right and burp it in like a twenty percent RH room. Like, yeah, it just and sucks just suck them dry. Especially uh, once it's once I think you're two weeks into a cure, that bud is about where it's going to be not as in the smell coming back and the quality but about as in the, the i don't know how to explain it you know that sponge feel but yeah, it's man. about where it's going to be and stay until you've overcured it which you, we, we all do that over a long long period of time but it's when it's at that point it, it's, a, it's a sponge it's effectively a, a plant matter that will, will suck it up it will suck up moisture so yeah you're very very mindful of the fact of where you are burping or getting your bud out. If you're just getting it out for a look. I mean, 15 minutes in 80 to 80% humidity is going to be a problem. And if you're just I'm having a quick for look for it. No, I am. I've always got mine out. <laughs> well, I have uh, little day smoking dishes. And I'll like in the morning, I'll chuck some bud in there. And by lasting at night, it's so dry that it proper tickles and cough, makes me yeah, cough up. See, but, that's the proof in the pudding. There it is. So, yeah. That, that, that's what I noticed and because I've always done the curing indoors for that reason I couldn't do it indoors because I was growing not large amounts but there was enough of it to stink the entire house out and there was no way I could do that with people here so uh, I, I noticed it and I really it really started to take the moisture back on to the point I had to set the dehumidifier up in a small tent to keep it down at like you know I couldn't it wasn't one of the ones you can set it on so I had to sort of manually be in there every 10 minutes looking at the humidity meter to try and keep it between 55 and 65 percent to try and get it back into range but once i'd done that there was a noticeable change to the smell and it never went back to how it should have been mm. but i didn't wash back and that's why i don't like the vida why if you've overdone it this is going to be a bit controversial but i would if i'm a grower and i've got perpetual grow i would rather chuck a couple of cannabis leaves in a tub with them than chuck a bovida pack i know some people want orange peel and that's like, we don't want that in there but i would rather let cannabis moisture if i'm going to add anything back into it let a few leaves dry out on top of the bucket. You know what I mean? Yeah. I've done that in the past. But again, you've got to be careful with mold because them leaves dry out real quick. But 
the fact they dry it real quick within four to six hours of being in a very dry environment, they just suck the moisture out of the leaf. I'd rather do that. And I'm not saying that's the right way to do it, but that for me, I'd rather do that than add a chemical pack to a jar to add moisture back in. Yeah, man, I can only agree. Only agree. Um, but I suppose, again, that's why the low temperature is kind of important. It gives you a lot more flex. Yeah. Like, yeah. you're not losing so much at them temperatures. Um, this what we missed there. If you're at a high temperature at 60, if you're at 30 degrees in your house and you're at 60, you're still going to dry off. It's a real tricky one. Something you only get with experience, I think, over time. And even then, I could, I could definitely improve, improve my curing. I've been doing it for 13, 14 years. So, yeah, it's, it's a tricky one, but the most one of the most important parts of a grow by far. It is. It is. Like, not, I suppose, yeah, it's a bit we should kind of linger on. But, um, yeah, once it's that, that six, well, 62 to 80, uh, 62 to 58, where the fuck do I get 80 from? Um, yeah, 62 to 58, then it's kind of like usually snapping off the stems. Yeah. Nice to go into jars. And at that point, again, a lot of our members are becoming quite partial to popping them in the fridge. Yeah. And just completely stopping the loss of any terps, basically. Um, I guess the drying is done. So hope, uh, the idea is that the, it's a cold curing process, really. I'm probably going to have a go at it, you know. I've got a little fridge that I do the seeds in. Um, I'm probably going to... I'll, I'll do an ounce and an ounce and have a play with it on my next one. On that auto, actually. Auto's coming down this week. So I'll do an ounce and an ounce if I get two ounces off of it. Um, <laughs> if not, I'll split it in half. But I'll do that. I'll, I will do that. I'm going to do a, a normal... As I would normally do it, and I will stick to the same numbers because I like the numbers, but except the temperature is in the humidity. And I will do a cold cure and a finger cure, and I'll see where I end up. I think it's important that, well, I think it makes a valuable difference. Yeah. And if nothing else, it's going to super extend your storage time. Yeah, I totally agree with that, definitely. I mean, the K-Bag's on about freezer, isn't it, as well? I don't know if I like that, but... I've done freezer in, like, double vacuum bags. Yeah. Um, and he's absolutely right. that It completely retains everything. It's just you have to be aware that it's super cold, so you got to let it come up to room temperature before opening anything. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, no, do you know that I haven't got vacuum, I haven't got the cap the, the stuff here for that. But I do have my old faithful smell-proof bags that I can use in a syringe, get a lot of the air out of, and they're completely airtight. I'm curing them now. I love them bags. I think that as a stoner's best friend, even if you're not a grower, because they are truly smell-proof. That brand, smelly-proof bag, it's got the green funky logo. But I'm curing them now. It's the same as curing in a 10 litre plastic bucket and they're easier to store and easier to hide. So, because I'm useless with jars, I drop them all the time, man. The amount of times, the thing is with me, I have to use big jars. So I drop a three litre jar, there's probably five ounces in there. And if you drop that, which I do, I, I break cups and plates on a daily basis in this house. If I drop that while getting it out of the cupboard or, you know, it's like you're trying to hide it. See, it's not like you're carrying it normally. Then you've got five ounces of bud that's just full of shards of glass. So I now use plastic. <laughs> Not that I recommend it. But on that, on that then, you, what, what is the benefit to using glass? I get dragon sickness with glass. Like, if oh. I see a pretty bit of glass, I'm like, oh, <laughs> you're mine. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, 
the benefit to glass is that it's molecularly pole. Uh, no, it's got the same molecular charge as the trichome heads. So when you're talking about plastics, um, plastics have a tendency to pick up a static charge, yeah. and that static charge attracts trichomes. They're ripping them off, basically. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, glass is inert. So yeah. it has no reaction to anything. Even your terps aren't ever going to dissolve it. Terps can potentially dissolve plastics long term. So there are benefits to glass. Um, there's also benefits to having like um, uh, light protection. So not just yeah, airtight, yeah. but so there's protection. Uh, basically, you get two types of light degradation. There's photon degradation as well as UV degradation. Um, so obviously UV fucks shit up, but photons, they're energy. So they excite stuff and excitement usually turns into oxidization, which is amber trichome heads. Yeah, and that's what um, I was saying earlier about street weed still having amber trichome heads because it isn't cured properly or anything. Yeah. So It's just oxidized after yeah. the fact. So there is some benefit potentially to having a light sealed jar. So if you're using amber, I think amber reduces light penetration by like 20 to 30%. Um, there's this purple myron glass, which reduces it like 90% or 80 to 90% or something yeah. crazy. Um, but again, it's, that's why we always encourage cold, dark place because light is energy and energy drives a process of oxidization yeah well this is a much bigger subject than i thought i don't think we've really covered everything that we could have and should have we might have to do a part two and have to listen to it back but there's a lot curing of is a big holes. one yeah. curing this is, is a big what i mean one. this the curing is could have been its own discussion <laughs> you know what i mean that, that's that's it maybe we can go back and this is just that we're gonna go back in detail over stuff but yeah it's worth mentioning that curing is all about the retention of quality at this point. Yeah. Like, I don't think anyone's going to say that curing improve. Well, no, curing does improve. Curing will change the cocktail. But, yeah, it, you're like 60% there when you harvest, and yeah. then it's like 40% going on afterwards. Yeah, it is. It's, it's a vital point. And, again, it's just the amount of time that you spend – it, it's like you said the the whole i won't do a whole plant hang because if i'm growing eight it's just a pain in the ass it's, it's a lot easier just to, to, to use a bowl trimmer and and chop them up basically but i get my bud down to 60 percent within five to seven days now i know some people most people well no a lot of people will be doing it in 10 14 days on the auto flowers that I've done, laziness, chopped them off at the bottom, hung them upside down, took 12 days. So there's definitely something in, in the slow and steady cure or dry and having that done on the stem. Because it was in the same environment that I always do it, the same numbers that I always do it, the same temperatures that I always do it, the difference of it was still on the stem. I it think somebody said to it. path of less resistance. So it's like you've got less points direct for, um, let's say, plant juices to flow. Yeah. So every bud you cut off has a single point of exiting then, let alone all the all the stoma, which should be trying to close. But you've got a hole you just cut in the stem where it was feeding from. Yeah. If you just cut the bottom stem, you've only added potentially one hole. Yeah. 
I'm a, I'm that, a, that alone, I was like, that's yeah, trimming, man. Yeah, I'm man. Trimmer. You think if you wet trim as well, mm. then you're removing X amount of plant mass that would have slowed that process down as well. Yeah. Let alone opened up X amount of wounds that are going to ex- escape liquid a lot faster. Yeah. So no, it all makes sense, yeah. doesn't it? It's just hearing it. It does. It, 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 I, I'm going to do it with this. I'm going to dry hanging autos because they're not a pain in the ass. But trying to dry, especially in a scrog, you know what I mean. If you're in a full scrog and you've got like eight plants in a 2.4 or 2.4 1.2, that's a big trim, man. That's not an easy few yeah. hours. And to me, it's about getting in and getting out. Yeah. Well, but, I definitely recommend trying the the pluck and hang because it kind of turns your trim into maybe two or three smaller stages yeah so it's like pluck whole plant hack it down hang it up then you can take branch by branch and just do your dry trim and pluck and pink your buds off and then i know you like to get them out for a third time to kind of check them over after they've cured for a bit yeah then you can do your final cleanup even i've started doing that because i do it in the larger buckets just rustling around breaks all the sugar leave off anyway but now, as you said, it's also dragging the trichomes off to the state charge. So, but then I put the whole lot through all now. So, it's, I mean, it's, it's different ends of different means. For me, it doesn't yeah. really matter because the whole thing's going through oil. Or honestly, yeah, I was I'm just going to say that that three stages can kind of be a bit quicker where you're just doing a, a full all all the fan leaves pluck, which I'm sure you do anyway before mm. they go into the bowl trimmer. Yeah. But you're just not doing it branch by branch. So you just take everything that's got a petiole or a leaf a leaf stem, just pop that off. And then hack the main stem, hang it up. Yeah. No, I'll have a go at that on the auto. I'll do that on the auto. So, and then I'll, I'll probably continue to. I really, I like dry trimming, but it's just, it, it does take a bit longer for me. It's a bit more finicky. And like I say, when you have. You can also take your time with a dry trim, especially if you're in a colder room. Yeah. <laughs> this is, it kind of goes on to the temperature thing, man. But if I'm going to do a trim, I've started to turn the heating off for a bit beforehand. So the temperature in the house dries off and cools down. Like, I'm trying to be aware that if if I'm smelling it, I'm losing it. So yeah. everything's as cold as possible. And because it's cold, I'm kind of comfortable to do it in front of the computer listening to music. Like yeah, I don't yeah. have to have an extraction fan running because I'm not losing all them volatile chemicals. Like yeah. I'm trying to retain them so I can do it at my own pace and it's a lot more comfortable. But no, it makes sense. It makes sense. So I'll, I'll be doing this trim in freezing cold temperatures, so maybe I need to actually have a play when I'm doing that, but I'm just trying to think of what we might not have covered. I mean, there's a lot we haven't covered, I know that, but as I say, this has been rabbit half to rabbit hole, which is good, food to fault. But as far as yield and quality goes, we've covered lighting. We haven't covered the lighting types, but we have covered the lighting itself. We can do lighting types as a separate discussion, because that's a whole... Well, I think for... At least for a part two for this, we could cover um, ways of damage reduction. So yeah, if, see, this is what we're saying. Yeah, yeah. because measures. yeah, a lot of the time to maximise your yield, you really have to minimise your losses yeah. at the end of the day. And that's again kind of a point I got to. I was kind of losing two or three ounces to bud rot sometimes because I wasn't maintaining shit properly, and that's because I was pushing it too far. And if I reduce the overall mass by an ounce i seem to retain the whole ounce yeah <laughs> so i've yeah end up with more by growing less somewhat yeah definitely i mean that's that's a big one i think we have to do a part two we have to listen back to this and then do a part two on because this is such an open-ended topic 
Yeah. It's a fun topic as well. So it is, yeah, because as I say, I've literally written down three new topics that are spun off of this one that we can do um, for the new year. But for now, what we've covered on is uh, a mature plant, not not rushing veg, um, loading the plant up correctly to make sure that it's able to move through stretch um, and the transition to flower. No, I'll say minimising uh, stress during. Yeah, minimising uh, stress as well. And we've, we've moved on to training. We covered briefly, but we've done that previously anyway. So that's can, there's a whole chat on that. Um, yeah, and then the different, there's a few, a few, very few of the different ways to stress and then drying and curing. So I think that's a, in a nutshell. Basically, what I think we're trying to get to is, is to increase yield and quality of a plant. You want a happy plant and you want to be doing it as naturally as possible while stressing the plant out in some areas. But it's not in a bottle. There's not a magic bottle that you're going to buy. There is magic bottles out there, but there's a lot of detrimental factors. That and we're definitely going to have to do the d- debate on that. I think that one will be. We'll have a couple of people on that. Um, that that'll be fun. Yeah, I mean, something like what Operation Grow done, maybe like a full-on <laughs> debate. That would be brilliant. Because um, we've got a couple. I mean, if we can get Nanook on and um, Hydro, you know, I'm going to be on the middle because I use it for something it's not meant for here and there. And I don't know if the old people do. So it's, it's real open-ended. But yeah, so I think what sums it up quite well is is you can't cheat to increase quality and yield. You need to put the graft in. And it's these, all of these small factors and many more, which we'll definitely try and cover in a part two to this, that make the, the, the add up to a happier plant, happier plant, which I think we'll both agree on will produce more and be more productive, not just as in yield, it will be more productive as in a happier, smellier, tastier plant, which equates to quality because you're talking about terpene retention, you're talking about the plant. If the plant's just happy enough to do its natural thing, it's going to be nicer, which is why I think people say that outdoor, properly outdoor grown plants are so much nicer because you don't get much more natural than that. So, yeah, uh, yeah man, I think that's it. I think at least that's hammered as much as we can do without going into a five-hour show. Yeah, it's just <laughs> going to end up being because <laughs> we're going to have to come back. But no, I'm going to listen back to that definitely and make notes because if anyone is listening and wants to put anything in the comments we can comment on on that because that is i had no idea where that was going when i mentioned it all right yeah i think for today that will do for this one so nice one today gmo for that always a pleasure never a chore man <laughs>